ghosts, cryptids, murder, conspiracies, beer, what, the, ale. Hello, friends. Hello. Welcome back to What the Ale. I'm Alana Ray. And I'm Mama Jay. Um, and we are coming at you with our regularly scheduled Wednesday episode. How are how are you doing, Mama? Any what the ale moments? Uh girl, my what the ale moment is probably just I am tired today because <laughs> I worked like a dog. Um, but yeah. I'm very happy to be here and connecting with you. Mm-hmm. And then actually I have another thing too. Hmm. So I had food poisoning like two weeks ago <laughs> and I was so sick and not well. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've had like terrible indigestion mm-hmm. and I don't usually have indigestion. And I checked with my doctor and they said that, yeah, after a severe episode of food poisoning, you could have indigestion for like a month. Oh man. And I'm like, this sucks. I've only ever had indigestion when I was pregnant. And it does not feel good. And I feel really bad for people who have it on the regular. But this sucks. Every time I eat anything, I feel terrible. Man, you're going to have to have some uh, some times just on hand, huh? I know. I'm like, I'm turning into my dad. <laughs> With his Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> yeah. So, well, he does the baking soda. but or baking soda, um, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, that sucks. So I feel for anybody that has that all the time because it's horrible. But yeah. Food poisoning sucks, and this as a side effect, which I didn't know was a side effect, really sucks. Yeah. Oh, what about you? Any what the ale? Um, let's see. I will say the weather we are having in the Bay is wild. Like, at some point today, mm-hmm. it was, like, coming down so hard, you could, like, barely see, like, what was happening outside. Like, it was just coming yeah. down and gross, so... I'm really like I had a lazy day today since it's um, we're recording this on President's Day. So I had the day off of work. So I had a super lazy day and did nothing and watched the rain. And it it was nice. (laughs) When we did try to record this yesterday, but the Wi-Fi was just not working because the wind was so bad yesterday. So yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully no puck wedgies are messing with the audio this time. You know, (laughs) (laughs) the Wi-Fi gods are nice to us. (laughs) Yeah um well what speaking of what are you drinking mom i'm drinking a brit moscow what about you nice i'm having a hazy panic from uh track seven nice yeah (laughs) all right well you want to get into it oh yeah yeah sounds good so i decided to cover a cold case from 1982 okay um and this is a very tragic case of um a murder of a mother, a young mother, and her two young daughters. Mm-hmm. So have you ever heard of the Pride family murders? You know, I think the name rings a bell, but I don't know details. Like, I feel like I might have seen, you know, a 2020 or something on it, but I can't, yeah. like, picture it, you know? Yeah. So, you know, this was just such a tragic case. So on the night of September 6, 1982, mm-hmm. um... 24-year-old Valerie Pride and her two daughters, Shantia, who is eight, and Duena, who is four, Mm -hmm. were found stabbed to death in their Phoenix home. And Mm -hmm. some of the neighbors reported that around 9.45, they heard some commotion at her house. And Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, but they, one neighbor looked out, but like nobody saw anybody run from the house or anything. And they just thought it was a domestic, you know, argument or something. So nobody called the police. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was about 9.45 when they heard that commotion. And then um, Pride was, um, Valerie was found about uh, 15 minutes later, her boyfriend returned home mm-hmm. and he found her in the dining room area, kind of near the back of the house. And she was just in a pool of blood, had been stabbed multiple times. And her two daughters were found in the living room huddled together. Mm-hmm. Um so, and, and the police believed that the murderer had escaped over the back fence of the home because there was a bloody handprint on one of the, or a, a bloody print on one of the wooden rails in the back, on the back fence. Mm-hmm. So, um, let me tell you a little bit about Valerie before we get into some of the other details. Mm-hmm. She was born in Arizona on March 9th, 1958. She was raised with five brothers and one sister and attended South Mountain High School in Arizona. And then she married her high school sweetheart named Jimmy Pryor in 1974, and she gave birth to Mm -hmm. Shantia. And then three years later, um, in 1977, uh, Duena joined the family. Oh, wow. And she seemed to be like, everybody described her as really happy. She was kind of like a light and like a very positive uh, person. And she was like working really hard on her goals. Um, So she was in the final year of a four-year apprenticeship program with the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 640. Oh, wow. And she was the first female electrician at the Palo Verde Power Plant in Maricopa County, Arizona. Oh, wow. Um, So she, like, you know, was definitely working on her goals. She was breaking glass ceilings. Like, she was trying her best to, like, you know, have a career and Mm -hmm. create a nice life for her and her children. Yeah, good Um, for her. Yeah. And there's not a lot of public knowledge about her husband, but after a few years of marriage, they ended up divorcing. Mm. So it was in 1982 that Valerie purchased a new home in the quiet neighborhood um, in South Phoenix. It's near South Mountain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she just thought it would be a good place to raise her daughters. It was like a big accomplishment to be able to purchase a home. And she bought this home with the man she had been dating named Ben. Okay. And Ben was somebody who also worked at the power plant with her. Mm, okay. Um, ben was somebody who had a um, children from a previous relationship, but they mm-hmm. seemed really like, you know, ready to co-parent. He was stepping into being like a father figure to her daughters. And, you know, it just seemed like they were really excited to build a life together. Good for them. Yeah. Now, during an interview with ABC 15, Valerie's sister, Vicky, did state that um, ben had some kind of past that caused problems in the relationship and mm. she wouldn't disclose what it was, but she said that Ben continually reassured Valerie that he was handling it and that she didn't have to worry. So we don't know what mm-hmm. that's about, but you know, there was something from his past that they argued about. Hmm. Okay. I wonder so if I'm he had been arrested or something, you know? Yeah, if he was involved in some kind of shady something, I'm not sure. But yeah, mm-hmm. she she wouldn't give any details. Okay. Um, so, you know, it was, like I said, in September, it was Labor Day. They were, you know, excited to celebrate a Labor Day holiday in their new mm-hmm. home. And they had only been in this new home for a few weeks when the tragedy occurred. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and, you know, when I say tragedy, you know, the, the triple homicide is not the only tragedy that happened that day. 
Sadly, around 4 p.m., Ben Daniels got a call telling him that his nine-year-old daughter from the previous marriage mm-hmm. had suffered an epileptic seizure while, seizure while taking a bath, and she drowned in the bathtub. Oh, okay. she, oh, my gosh. So not only, wow. Okay, so this is just a bad day all yeah. around. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, so apparently the girl's mother had just left the room briefly, and when she returned, her daughter was underwater. And so Ben had rushed to the hospital, but by the time he got there, you know, it was clear that the doctors were unable to save her life and she was already gone. That's so sad. Yeah. So he, you know, he had been at the hospital, you know, dealing with the death of his daughter when Valerie was attacked in their home. Yeah. So shortly before 930, Valerie was on the phone. Some reports say that it was her brother and then other accounts say it was a friend. But her mm-hmm. sister, Vicky, recently confirmed that it was actually Ben's brother that she was on the phone with. Oh, okay. And he reports that while she was chatting with him, there was a knock at the door. And since Ben hadn't returned from the hospital, Valerie just told the brother that she needed to go see who was at the door. And then that was the last time anybody heard from her. So, okay. yeah. So when Ben arrived home around 10 p.m., he found that the front door to the house was open which was unusual. And, you know, they said, especially given that, you know, in, you know, Arizona Labor Day weekend, it was like 109 degrees outside. So, you know, they wouldn't have the the door open. You know, the weather was too hot. They would have it locked up with the air conditioning on. Oh, yeah. So right away, he knew something was wrong when he walked up to the house. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then when he walked inside, he walked directly into that nightmare of seeing, you know, the two daughters huddled together in the living room covered in blood and, you know, they had both been stabbed and then she was found in the dining room. Mm-hmm. Um, it People think that she maybe had tried to make it to the back door, um, but couldn't reach it before she was attacked. And her sister thinks that maybe she had run to the kitchen to try to get a weapon. Um, oh. But Ben obviously was like devastated by the scene and just started screaming in horror. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So neighbors heard his cries and it was the neighbors that called the police. Okay. And I just can't imagine like you lose your child earlier in the day and then you come home to this. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, that's just some type of pain. I couldn't even imagine (laughs) like feeling right. Like not only obviously the daughter dying is a tragedy, but then coming home to this gruesome murder scene that like, also took away like others you know your other loved ones I mean it, it's just yeah, that is too much <laughs> that is too much for one person to bear yeah you know so to, to find the woman you love and <clears throat> and the children who you are stepping into a role with and mm-hmm. you know you're planning to build a life as a happy family and just bought a new home you know to find them all brutally murdered I just can't understand what he must have been going through and especially after I mean, I'm sure after the loss of his daughter earlier in the day, he yeah. was probably just wanting to come home to love and hug and support. And that's not what he walked into. So it's just so tragic. Yeah. Um, so when the police officers uh, from Phoenix Police Department arrived, they were absolutely horrified. Like for these officers, this was like one of the most gruesome scenes they'd ever come upon. One detective had to step outside and take a moment and he um, told a reporter, my God, it's terrible in there. They're stabbing all over the place. Wow. Um, 
Now, Shantia and Duena were found in their pajamas, and it was like clear that they were getting ready for bed when the attack occurred. Mm-hmm. You know, one account that says they were huddled together, and um, another report states that the girls had been mutilated, but I'm not sure what they meant by that. I mean, it definitely said there were multiple stab wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so detectives theorized that Valerie had been attacked almost immediately after she answered the door. And mm-hmm. after that crime, you know, that um, killing her, that he must, he or they, you know, whatever, must have gone to get the girls. And if you think about that, like if the killer went after her first, that means the girls were in the living room listening to their mother get stabbed to death. And so they're right. huddled together, holding each other. And then somebody goes last moments. It's just, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so, yeah, we know that the murderer left through the backyard because of the handprint on the wooden rails on the fence. Um, and behind their house, it was just like an abandoned house. So there, you know, when he jumped the fence to the next yard, or the person jumped the fence to the next yard, there was nobody living in that house behind theirs. Um, mm-hmm. So nobody saw who left. Okay. Now, Residents were obviously like very shocked by this crime. The neighborhood was normally like really quiet and safe. That's one of the reasons why they all decided to move into that area. Mm-hmm. And no one could imagine why anyone would want her or her children dead. And but mm-hmm. because of the brutality, it seemed really personal. And there was no signs of forced entry, no signs of sexual assault, and nothing had been taken from the home. Mm-hmm. So there was no clear motive, but it definitely seemed very personal. Yeah. Totally. Feels personal. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, detectives like desperately wanted to find the person responsible, but mm-hmm. they really soon exhausted all leads because, you know, nobody had seen anything. Nobody had any idea who would have come after her. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't a lot to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they, they spoke to like pretty much everyone, but they weren't able to find anyone who saw anything unusual the night of the murder. And then you know, the intense heat of the day didn't help because most residents were just inside their homes with the air conditioners on. So nobody was like out and about, you know, it was just, it was, you know, getting late at night, people were settling down. So just nobody saw it. Mm. Um, and like I said, you know, some people heard a commotion, but they had no idea what was happening over there. Right. And then, um, yeah, so, you know, the other interesting thing is that because this happened only like you know, 15, 20. So, you know, it's interesting that this happened, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes before Ben got home. So, you know, the question mm-hmm. is like, did the person know that Ben was at the hospital and wasn't home? Or did the person know that he was on his way and, you know, rushed to get this done before he made it back? But it just seems like somebody knew that Ben was out of the house or that they were home alone. Mm-hmm. And then around 11, 11- her ex-husband arrived at the home mm-hmm. and you know, I couldn't see anything that said how he found out or did somebody call him or whatever, but he just showed up and he was like hysterical when he found out about these murders. Cause again, even though they were separated, you know, those are his children. That was his high school sweetheart. Um, right, and the yeah. police, he was so upset that the police had to restrain him until he would calm down because they were afraid that he was going to like taint the scene, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. But, you know, he was devastated. Mm. Yeah, Um, I was going to say, I mean, the ex-husband's probably, like, the most obvious suspect, right? But, oh. Well, 
And that's the thing you would normally think it's the current partner or one of their ex spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem like Jimmy had anything to do it with it because he was completely devastated. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, despite their best efforts, the investigation stalled. And after like six months without any progress, the detectives decided to try to like intensify their effort. I mean, I think everybody really wanted to solve this because it was just such a tragic case, you know? Yeah. Um, so a handful of investigators did go back through the neighborhood and um, conduct other uh, interview, you know, re-interviewing neighbors just to make sure that they didn't miss anything, looking for any clues they might've missed during the initial investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was part of it was difficult because they were so new to the neighborhood that people just didn't really know them well. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, when you hear a commotion or something, but if it was like a friend, a close friend, you might go check on them, but because nobody really knew them yet, they were new to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody checked when they did hear the commotion. Right. Yeah. And then police looked into Valerie's background and just couldn't find anything that would explain why she was targeted. There was no conflicts with anyone in her life. Um, you know, all of her friends and family just said she was, you know, loved and well-respected and, you know, I mean, just optimistic and hopeful about, you know, starting this new life with Ben. There was no reason why anybody would have been upset with her or holding mm-hmm. any kind of grudge. Right. Um, so, you know, hoping to bring in some new leads since they weren't having, you know, much success. Um, the silent witness program and the international brotherhood of electrical workers offered reward money for any information leading to the arrest or conviction of a person or persons who killed the pride family. And okay. some, some tips trickled in, but there was just nothing that was like a solid lead. Mm-hmm. Um, now, police, you know, as they were doing a little bit more investigating, though, they found out that in August of 1982, which was one month before the murders, okay. Valerie's house had been broken into. Oh, OK. Now, this happened when nobody was home, but the person slashed her waterbed in the bedroom and then placed all of Valerie's clothes on the floor so that they would be damaged by the water. So... Again, that seems very personal. Like somebody clearly had it out for Valerie. Yeah. Like, do you think there's like a stalker situation or anything? I mean, were there? I mean, you know, my mind always goes to the ex-husband or Ben's ex, you know, as a potential, mm-hmm. like if that, if she was jealous that they were like coming together and building a family together. Um, but the police could not find any evidence that would lead for a sus- to a suspect, Mm, um, okay. and so that investigation did not progress at all. And Valerie did not know who would have done it. So, you know, there was just no, no leads. Wow. Okay. Um, now as, as police continue to speak to neighbors and detectives over some time, they started to hear rumors that mm-hmm. the Valerie, um, yeah, or the murder of Valerie and her daughters was some sort of re- revenge killing for the death of Ben's daughter that happened earlier that same day. Mm. Now, it's unclear why anybody would blame Valerie, you know, for what was clearly ruled as an accidental drowning, but, right. the murders, you know, continued to persist. And so the investigators had to follow up, follow up with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ben's daughter, Zeta, lived with her mother, Gloria F- Freeman in Phoenix. And the house was only about a mile from Valerie's new home. So it was very close by. Okay. And, you know, again, Gloria says that she was supervising Zeta in the bath and then just walked away for a moment. And when she 
came back, you know, it was clear that she had had a seizure and she was underwater. So, you know, I mean, I really, it does just seem like a tragic, you know, I mean, the medical examiner, everybody says she clearly, it was an accident. She had a seizure in the bath. It was nobody's fault. It was not murder. There was nothing suspicious. Okay. Um, So, you know, so most people would say, well, if it's clearly an accidental death, like that would not be a reason to come and commit triple homicide. Um, But investigators still wondered if that could be a possibility. Mm -hmm. And then um, on August 18th, 1983, 14 year old Kevin Atkins was arrested outside of a Phoenix home Mm -hmm. and investigators believe that he was involved in the murders. He was released the following day, but police stressed that that even though he was released, that that didn't necessarily mean he wasn't a suspect anymore. Okay. Um, the Copa County District Attorney's Office wanted more evidence before they were willing to take any further steps or have him charged or arrested or any of that. Um, okay. But detectives, but detectives seem confident that they'd be able to provide the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about him. So, okay. so investigators announced that they were also seeking at least two other people involved, you know, that could be potentially connected to this crime. Okay. Uh, they believed it was another juvenile. So probably teenager and one more adult that had participated in the murder and that the crime was an act of revenge because of the death of Zeta. Mm-hmm. Um, and the important thing to know is that Gloria Freeman, Zeta's mother, was the aunt of Kevin Atkins. And so Zeta and Kevin were cousins. So she oh. died. Kevin's the 14-year-old cousin. Yeah. Okay. So the, the idea is that this was like a revenge killing. But it doesn't... Like, if you're going to murder anybody, it sounds like you murder the mom who was like the kid was in her... Like, I'm not obviously you know yeah whatever but that doesn't seem logical to me (laughs) well it really I mean just the idea of killing her for an accidental death of a child just seems crazy yeah but you know so you know if if this theory is true you know then it's like I wonder if maybe um you know maybe Gloria the mother of Zeta like if she was just so upset that Ben was building this life with, you know, Valerie and the two girls. And that maybe she, like when she lost her child, she just was like, you know, jealousy took over because maybe she yeah. was the one or was involved in the slashing the waterbed a month before they moved in together, you know? So there could be like some jealousy there. So maybe it wasn't actually about Zeta's death, but it was just about the fact that Valerie was building this life with Ben and there was just jealousy. I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it just, to me, like I said, it just doesn't make sense, but like to go after her and the kids, but I mean, I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, although the detectives like initially seemed really confident that they would find, or that they had probable cause and that they would have evidence to charge Kevin with a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really is unclear if they ever had any physical evidence linking him or anybody else to the murders, but Charges were never filed against him. Mm, and okay. you know, the the rumors continue to circulate, suggesting that um, Zeta's family had somehow been involved, but those allegations could never be substantiated, substantiated and so the case went cold. Mm, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. 
And then two years after the murders, um, investigators were called because the next door or the um, the neighbors found the bloody or found a knife in the backyard um, mm-hmm. of their home, and it was in, like similar in size to the one believed to murder, you know, the three women um, or three people. Mm-hmm. Um, so detectives were hopeful that that might like jumpstart the investigation again, but it was. Right. Separate- analysis and they were unable to determine if the knife was used to kill Valerie, Shantia, and Duena. So, you know, I don't know if it had been outside in the elements, rain, I don't know, but like there just wasn't enough to say whether or not it had been used. Oh, okay. That's too bad. Yeah. Um, Now, in 1988, detectives made another push to to try to solve the case and Sergeant Mike Hobel um, of the silent witness program made a public appeal for anyone to come forward and speak to detectives, um, even if they had been reluctant to do so in the past, because he felt like, you know, maybe if people were close to the murder, maybe they felt at risk or something. So he was hoping that maybe since it's been a few years, somebody might feel more comfortable coming forward. Right. Yeah. Um, but no new tips um, or a few tips trickled in, but no new leads were made because of those tips. It's hmm. too bad. Yeah. Um, and over the years, they followed up on hundreds of potential leads and they've conducted thousands of interviews. Um, and they they spoke to people even as far away as Ohio, um, oh. but they, they just couldn't find any solid suspects that they could pursue. Wow. And then in 2005, police detective Bob Ransky was assigned to work on the case, which by then it had been cold for two decades. And mm-hmm. he was like convinced that this could be solved. He said, someone out there knows who committed these crimes and it's time for that person to come forward so it could be resolved and everyone can have peace. Mm-hmm. And he just had, you know, he had a hard time comprehending how someone could have killed three people with seemingly no more remorse. And especially the fact that two of them were small children, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, and, and not, you know, not talk to somebody about it. Not, you know, I mean, somebody would know, you know, and I mean, he, he would think, yeah. Yeah. And he said, quote, the saddest thing is about the children. You have two girls who could have had really brilliant f- futures. We'll never know. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, I mean, that that's kind of like where it's at, right? Like she was like really role modeling for them and building this life and, you know, putting her family in a right path. And, you know, yeah. these kids, they were just stomped out before they even had a chance. It's just so sad. Yeah, I mean, like, as you said, just like a tragedy all around, like the whole case is just so, 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 so sad. Yeah. Um, Because I mean, even, oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, so at this point, you know, the case has been unsolved for four decades. And in June 2022, Valerie's sister, Vicki McDonald, stated the family has never stopped seeking justice for Valerie, Shantia, and Duena. Mm-hmm. And they're still shocked by the violence of the crime, mm-hmm. you know, and just nobody could believe that they would do this to the kids, especially, you know? Yeah. Well, it makes me think of, um, you know, those cases where maybe like, and this is why I brought up like a stalker earlier. Cause there are like stalker cases where maybe they're targeting, you know, the mom or something, but then like the family's there, but they thought maybe the mom would be alone. Right. Or, you know, and like in that type of situation but obviously if there was no real evidence of stalking or anything like that like yeah it just seems like a completely like senseless motiveless crime and it's yeah. just horrible um 
Yeah. Yeah. And then the sisters, um, you know, Vicky and Denise pride, um, Mm -hmm. just kept saying that Ishanti and Duena were the center of her world and she was just doing everything she could to give them the best life possible. Mm -hmm. And they were all looking forward to their bright future. Um, and then just all their hopes and dreams were stolen from them by this killer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and investigators think the killer was someone that knew Vicky, obviously, because it just seemed so, um, so brutal, you know, and usually you don't have that kind of crime if it was like a robbery gone wrong or something. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So, you know, they're currently submitting evidence from the scene to be analyzed. And this was as of 2022. Um, But uh, you know, and it's just because the technology wasn't available at the time of the murders. So like mm-hmm. blood from the fence and unidentified fingerprints outside the home or inside mm-hmm. the home. Um, you know, it, so, you know, hoping that that would lead to new leads. Um, mm-hmm. but despite the passage of time, um, you know, the uh, detective Rosenberg remains hopeful that the case will be solved eventually. And he admits that the police will likely need help from the public to do so because again, he yeah. just believes somebody out there knows they, you know, whoever did this probably talked to somebody. Um, and so, you know, the, the evidence that they were resubmitting has been updated into the national registry, but so far there have been no hits on like whose DNA okay. that was. Um, mm. And then, or, you know, fingerprints and all that. And then, um, um, the other thing that I'll know is that even though, you know, they said that like all of the evidence was being like resubmitted, retested. The family mm-hmm. still has not heard anything about what happened with that or anything. And so, okay. um, yeah. So um, one of the family members on an interview on ABC 15 said, I was able to get a little information from the detectives. So to hear about their submitting some evidence, but how does, you know, and just like, how does that make you feel? And she said, happy that something will hopefully come of that evidence. Mm-hmm. But again, that was in 2022. And there's no updates on like, mm. you know, did that lead, you know, have any leads attached to it or anything like that. So, yeah. so there still is a cash reward if anybody has any information or tips and you can submit anonymous tips to silentwitness.org. Um, but, you know, it just, I don't know, just this case is so sad and it, I don't know. I feel like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really sad. It's yeah. This is, I, I hate cases like this where there's not like an obvious answer. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, to me, the only thing that, you know, and it doesn't make sense to me as it's a revenge killing for Zeta's death, but you know, right. if the mom had issues with the fact that Ben was moving on, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because and the main reason I think that could be a thing is just because the water bath slashing the, the month earlier to me, that right. was somebody who was mad at her. That was her home before she moved in with Ben. That was her bed. Those were her clothes that were put on the floor. You know, to mm-hmm. me, that sounds like a jealous girlfriend thing to do. Yeah, it definitely does for yeah. sure. So, but yeah, there's just no, not enough evidence to prove that she was involved or her family was involved, but um, yeah, because she had no other real enemies. I mean, unless like you said, there was some kind of stalker situation with a random person, right. this just doesn't seem like it makes sense that anybody else would have done it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 
Yeah, this is a hard one. <laughs> it's really, yeah, it's sad, really sad. And there's just not enough evidence, but I am glad. I mean, it, it does sound like the police were really working hard to do everything they could, which again, mm-hmm. you know, a young black family in the eighties, I don't know that police always cared enough to really try to deep dive into finding somebody. So I am right. glad to hear that they really did take it seriously and did what they could, but yeah, mm-hmm. there just wasn't a lot of evidence. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, I'm hoping, I mean, I know things like DNA or whatever, it does take a long time to extract. So my hope is like, maybe there is something with the evidence they're processing from 2022 and it's just taking a while or maybe they can't release anything yet because they're trying to analyze things. I know it's like, there's a lot of red tape when it comes to that. So I'm hoping that maybe we'll have answers soon or at least some more information soon, but Yeah. yeah, it was a hard 40 this years, is- like 40 years. These families have been waiting for answers. It's just so sad. Yeah, it really is. So, 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 so sad. Well, and it's interesting too, because like I was thinking, like, even if it was like a serial killer, like there, there would be other crimes that occurred with similar MOs, right? So, like, yeah. this obviously was an isolated incident. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and if the person was like after Valerie, I mean, the idea of just killing the kids in that way to not have them be a witness, but I mean, so brutal. I just, uh, I can't imagine what kind of person can kill two small children like that. Yeah. I mean, that brutal, that's horrible. It's a monster. (laughs) You could kill two babies like that. So anyways, folks, uh, that is the tragic case of the Pride family murders. If you have any tips, please send them in because this family definitely deserves justice and um, and to be put at peace by having answers. But such a tragic case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'll get the, you know, number or website or whatever on the Instagram so folks can submit any info to that Um uh any tips or info yeah to to them so we can hopefully find justice yeah but um I guess if that's it I want to say I appreciate you mama for telling the story yeah I appreciate you for listening we appreciate all of you yeah so some housekeeping things friends just remember to Follow us on Instagram at what the L pod you can send in story ideas or you know your own personal like listener story uh, to us at what the pod at gmail.com. Um, we have a lovely little Patreon you could follow, and we're going to have our bonus episode for February up soon. So go ahead and check those out. Um, and outside of that, we just want to say we appreciate you all listening, friends. Yeah, and we will hopefully chat with some of you soon. Exactly. All right. Bye, friends. Bye, friends.